Sometimes people confuse play with being like a kind of luxury, frivolous activity that's, you know, something that maybe kids do or you just do after you've had a few drinks or you're in a different (laughs) headspace. But it it actually has a massive impact, I think, on your clarity of mind, your decision making, your mental health, things like that. So the more I played, my mind just became able to be better at having vision and making decisions. Welcome to this week's episode. This week on the podcast, I speak with the wonderful Emma Warallo. She's a kid culture expert and content creator who champions the idea of living playfully. Emma and I talk all about how essential play is to life and how it's a radical act in a society that values productivity in the way that it does. We talk about links to education, about links to mental health, about play and relationship. We cover a lot and it was a really, really wonderful conversation. I first met Emma when she did some strategy sessions with me. Those sessions kind of led into me creating this podcast and into creating Grounded Families. And so, yeah, I have like really soft place in my heart for Emma. I'm really grateful to the way in which she has facilitated my own growth and my own kind of ability to think outside of a very kind of narrow way in which I was thinking and living. And yeah, so this is a really kind of meaningful conversation to me as well. And I hope you love it. All right. So today on the podcast, I have the wonderful Emma Warallo. Thanks for joining me, Emma. I'll talk a bit about this later, but Emma and I first met because I had a strategy session with her. Yeah, so that's how we first connected. But I wanted to have Emma on just to chat a bit about her live playfully philosophy and kid culture. So Emma, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Hello. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you again. Yes, you too. Emma, could you tell us just a bit about your background and about how you've got to this point? Absolutely. Yeah. So my background is in research. That's kind of how I started my career doing qualitative research and went on to specialize in kids and families. So for the last 10 years, I've been running an insight agency, which is called the Pineapple Lounge, and it's committed to understanding emerging generations and the families that they're growing up in. So my background has very much been like a deep dive into kid culture and really looking at the world with a child's eye view. More recently, I have been building a community on Instagram around around that approach, really, as I worked my way through my career as a parent myself, thought, oh, so many of these things I'm learning and this mindset and this ability to put on these kid kid goggles and have this almost sort of sixth sense ability to play and to have childlike wonder is very, very applicable to parents. So sort of transferred quite a lot of my learnings into my community there. And most recently have actually exited that business and I'm now working full-time on Playful Den, helping people to live playfully, understand what play is and the power within it, how to do more of it and supporting parents to sort of deepen the relationships that they have with their children through play gosh emma so you're also in a state of like change at the moment so that yes. you're moving out of that and that's a big yeah a really big move i'm sure it is i do executive coaching as well and you know the session with you was brilliant and i was doing a lot of those sessions and at the same time I was like I actually kind of want to make this change myself so yeah it was a big leap but yeah it's very exciting and I think like a lot of people the pandemic kind of 
enabled me to make that big decision somewhat more confidently because there was a realignment of prioritization and Mm. also just a hyper awareness of the fragility of life and you know if you've got dreams if you've got goals if you've got urges I very much kind of felt the weight of that and needing to kind of take action against Mm. that backdrop of everything that was going on gosh so interesting and that's yeah I really relate to that because that's also what I felt it's like it gave us just enough time to be able to pause through the madness of kind of busyness of life and to go okay do I want to be doing this for another sort of 40 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so interesting. Oh my goodness. So what does that mean like day to day for you? Does it mean? Yeah, I, we're in a definitely a period of adjustment at the moment. I also had a, a baby right at the start of the pandemic. So I was on maternity leave as well. So I was almost in like a double bubble Gosh, if you yeah. are anyway with a newborn and then on top of that the lockdown so life is so different for me now before I had Scout who's now one and before the pandemic I was traveling a lot I would go to London once a week overnight two days in London a week the rest of the time Gosh. working from home I was probably going out to the US at least once a quarter possibly more and I was doing a lot of international time zones as well that was wow. a really big challenge mm. with the job I had a team in New York and clients out across the US so I'd almost have two working days every day and I think a lot of people certainly in the corporate sector do work globally now and and I think Mm. the strain working international hours that it puts on you is completely underestimated and not talked about enough so I don't have any of those things anymore and quite frankly I'm learning to just sort of get my shit together a bit more (laughs) because you know I was working to deadlines I had a team I had a lot of people that were sort of holding me accountable and now kind of being back to start up back to being self-employed working for yourself this is like I haven't done this for you know over 10 years so I'm starting to build new rhythms and rituals I definitely wanted much more fluidity but sometimes it's a case of care for what you wish for because it's got a little too wishy-washy and we're just trying to get a little bit more structured with who's working when and and kind of what times and who's doing what school drops because whilst I like to think that you can just sort of wake up and be like I'll just do this today the reality of being in a busy family with three children is not going to work (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh Emma that does sound yeah it's like a real state of flex at the moment but really exciting and how do you think your kind of philosophy on living playfully has helped you in this yeah I think one of the reasons I wanted to commit fully to Playful Den was also to uh, walk the talk a bit more. And I absolutely loved my job and loved the team and loved the work, but knew that I as a person had sort of moved on and beyond Mm. it. And staying in it was the sensible thing to do for sure. And there was a longstanding successful career there for me, but I had to sort of tap into that playful spirit and the playful mindset that that I kind of coach people on has four aspects to it joy creativity curiosity and openness and just sort of working through those pillars of that mindset enabled me to make the decision I also massively stepped up how much I was playing I pretty much played my way through my maternity leave with Scout sort of got back into roller skating did a lot of hula hooping because yeah the uh (laughs) the pelvic floor exercises are boring so (laughs) I did hula hooping instead and the more I played the more I was like I don't know my mind just became 
able to be better at having vision and making decisions. So mm. I think, yeah, sometimes people confuse play with being like a kind of luxury, frivolous activity that's, yeah. you know, something that maybe kids do or you just do after you've had a few drinks or you're in a different <laughs> headspace. But it, it actually has a massive impact, I think, on your clarity of mind, your decision making, your mental health, things like that. So the more I played, yeah, the sort of more decisions I was able to make I mean and that's totally mirrored in the research so they say that that's exactly that your prefrontal cortex is activated during play and that it yeah it builds and that it helps you to make better decisions it's so interesting that you've yeah found exactly that love that yeah my gosh I think it also we get so stuck in our in the way that we speak about things and I mean I know this is also like a speaking format that we're in now but you can get so stuck in your head and in the language of things and really something about play moves you into your body in a way that helps you actually to process things I think in a totally different way I couldn't agree more and I'm really big into language and phrasing even the word parent is one that I think has become so loaded so heavy just sort of like I see the word parenting and I just almost feel exhausted thinking about it so I try and have alternative language for things so with parenting yeah. I use a dream coach quite Love a lot that. as a sort of playful alternative but you're so right and I talk about active play rather than exercising I can't believe okay. that I spent so many hours doing doing exercise almost like as a chore Mm. like another thing on your list to do and now I will talk much more about active play so I'm sort of like really into hiking and bird watching and skating and swimming in the sea and this is all Mm. activities where I am completely at play so I think that word Mm. has exactly as you say a different impact on people and I'm very interested particularly about parents um, and particularly mothers postnatally playing because I think when someone says to you you know you need to have more fun what does that mean (laughs) yeah and you're like I don't even know what I find fun anymore but when you talk to people about finding their play and reconnecting with your inner kid what are the things you used to play as a child why did you stop doing them like you still have that in your play DNA maybe you can't do them in exactly the same form but something in those play patterns can be brought into your current life that don't have to cost loads of money don't have to take up loads of time and that's like the great thing about play is that it can be just like a fleeting moment that you know Mm. lots of people talk about the kitchen disco kind of scenario put the music on like that is stepping into more of a playful mindset and that's that's why I think it's so powerful to learn how to tap into this way of thinking oh, I love that you've said that also that it's a tiny moment so it doesn't have to be like another chore for you to do and I think exactly. that's so important because it puts people off exactly thinking, yeah oh good <laughs> yeah and if you look at the definition of play it's doing something that's intrinsically motivated for temporary pleasure so oh, it's wow. not like I'm saying run down a hill and all your problems are going to be sure. completely gone and you're going to be like in a utopia because it's temporary pleasure but obviously the more that you're able to look for the opportunities to do that the more that you can continue to take yourself into the moments of temporary pleasure and the other thing that they're part of it is is intrinsically motivated so you're not doing it for anyone else you're not doing it for a purpose you're not doing it to like lose weight or you're not doing Mm. it to impress someone or post it on social media even though I do have to do that because it's part of the job (laughs) you're just doing it for the sake of it (laughs) and that can be 30 seconds or an hour but yeah it has the same quality I mean 
it actually is also such a radical act as well, I think, to play because our whole system is kind of set up with productivity and I mean, yeah. there's all sorts of problems with that, but so to actually do something for no other purpose than just to enjoy it, I think you know, it feels like healing. Yeah. And particularly, you know, I work a lot with mums and got to-do lists as long as their arms and we're sort of juggling as well if, if you're a working parent and you can fall into this trap of valuing yourself on mm. how much you've got done and aligning your success as a person, as a mother, as a partner, as however mm. you see it, through your productivity. And how many things have you ticked off your list? And particularly, you know, as a, as a sort of wider lens as a society, we love productivity. If you track back to how much people do now, and you probably, you know, would see this in your therapy and with your clients that everyone is just taking on so much more and mm. technology has obviously enabled us to do that but it's almost like tricked us as well into but I think over exaggerating how much we can actually do in a certain day or period of time and I sort of encourage people to if you're having a to-do list keep it small keep it realistic but also have a play to-do list as well because until we start to you know see the two things as at least equal you don't make way for it you just don't make space for it because it's always the first thing that gets knocked Mm. off the list because it's perceived in our minds to be a luxury or not essential. It's so true. For kids, we kind of have the idea that this is, you know, the way they learn and the way they need to function. But somewhere along the line, we lose that and imagine that adults don't need it. Yeah. And it happens really young as well, really early. I mean, right in the the sort of adolescent years, it's quite normal when you're a teenager to assume that you know everything. (laughs) That's a sort of part of the life stage. But at that point, the curiosity can start to drop off a bit because you feel, I don't need anyone to tell me anything anymore. And, you know, now teens, they've got Google. I can look up whatever they want. Mm. They don't even necessarily need to think of the question. They're flicking from one thing to another. So it can start happening quite early. And if on top of that, you've got the pressure of being evaluated on your grades, on your potential to get a job early on, that's when it starts to kick in. And this responsibility of adulthood, it just grows and grows and grows and grows. We enter into more of a fixed mindset. So we Mm. become on rails to how we sort of live our lives. um, And we find it harder to imagine. We find it harder to create, harder to be bored. We lose Mm. these skills, which are very intuitive in children and children need them more because it's how they learn. To some extent, you could argue we don't need to do that as adults, but the play takes on a different role. It's not so much about, you know, learning learning about how to sort of function in society, but it's more about, I think, learning how to be yourself. And that's what I think play Mm. does as an adult. It constantly pulls you back to your authentic self. Gosh, that's so interesting. And again, so kind of liberating to be able to move into that and go, what do I actually want to do? What am I interested in? When am I most likely to be in flow? All of those things. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of mums that I speak to struggle with identity loss after becoming a parent. And Mm. I think play helps you to rediscover who you are because Mm. your play DNA, like when you're a child and a young person, you know, how you're playing is so impulsive, so intuitive, so pure Mm. because of what I talked about, the intrinsic motivation. You're following your 
mm-hmm. true self in a sense and it's coming out in your play so trying to tap into that again because we're grown-ups we tend to think oh yeah okay so I need to get a hobby I must get a hobby you don't need a hobby like you might you might want to go to like a regular club or whatever and that's cool but I'm kind of more interested in just fluid moments of playfulness because they're just so accessible like if you're out for a a walk or a run you know stomping in the puddles if you're out somewhere where you see a slope like you know just running down it or putting on your favorite tunes and having a silent disco for five minutes like these things that can be Mm. sort of small and very accessible I'm interested in getting those into people's everyday lives because I think it builds this mindset I very much see play not just as an activity but as a mindset as a way of looking at life how do you help people to kind of prompt them into that to kind of remind them to stay or to hop back into that mindset yeah it can be really hard if they have children as well and then they try and play with the child often don't know what to do and they can feel Mm. quite rigid and for a lot of people it might have been a really long time since they've been silly since they've I don't know put on a silly voice or done a bit of role play or just being free in play and we forget how to do it with anything I always tell people to start super small I do think music can be a very strong almost like unlocking playfulness so even if you just go back to your nostalgic beats that you loved as a child you might not necessarily be your favorite music now but to try and like use sensory experience through sound through touch to unlock what Mm. you like doing I also get people to like build lego structures out of themselves as a child or do sketches maybe even like revisit some old photographs like try and build up your play DNA like your inner kid what do they do and then I try and get people to look how much of a gap is there between that and where you're at now so if as a kid you were like so adventurous you were like up the tree jumping over stuff daring people like loads of sort of like you know so ballsy you know how different is that to how you are now and it can be quite confronting because Mm. it's like you know I don't really do anything now and like wow I don't even know where that went and that's quite normal Mm. and then I say to people it hasn't gone it's still in there because it's part of your foundations like that Mm. was how you built your formative years you as that person so it's just a case of starting small I talk about extending a hand to that inner playful kid extending a hand to them and saying do you want to play with me what would they want to play what would they want to do and trying to you know it's always hard for me to suggest the activity because I believe that's so personal but just trying to yeah think about extending a hand to them and saying do you want to play and Mm -hmm. what might they say Okay, so it's like an invitation rather than another activity to do. Yeah. Could you speak a little bit to education? Because I feel like thinking of all of this and thinking of the way we educate kids currently, I mean, that feels really concerning to me on so many levels. But can you speak to that a bit about how we're educating kids now? Yeah, I talk about this quite a lot and I'm certainly not the first person to be vocal in this space. People, educators, teachers, academics, they've been talking about the issues Mm -hmm. with the education system in this country for a long time now. And it's frustrating (laughs) for everyone because Mm -hmm. we're just not seeing radical change. The main issue with it, I would summarise, is that the education system in England teaches children what to think, not how to think. It's a curriculum 
designed for memory and for right and wrongs. There's also, I think, an over emphasis on perfectionism with things like handwriting and things like that Mm. and you know there's always been a gap between where the world is at and where it's going and what and how we're educating our kids I don't want to underestimate what a big task it is to change the national curriculum but now it's a void the world that they are growing into and how they're being educated are like Mm. different planets from my point of view. Um, And I get very excited because the prospect of every child having access to a free education, it should be a golden ticket to coming out of childhood with something really enriching, um, Mm. feeling inspired, having self-belief, having good mental health. And and a lot of children don't have access to that at home. So getting Mm. that from school is a very tantalizing prospect. I can't think of anything Mm. better to change society than to invest in that. And what it looks like from looking at research and looking at the mental health of children in what is a very developed country seems to be the opposite for children of all backgrounds are feeling stressed under pressure Mm. or losing a love of learning so so early I think teachers Mm. are completely bored with the curriculum their hands are tied they can't actually exercise Mm. the brilliant skills (laughs) that they've got they're not able to to express their creativity and attend to Mm. the child which is why most of them go into teaching in the first place because they're brilliant at doing that and they're not able to do it so this is the threat to play it's a threat to play for sure yeah oh my goodness Uh, yeah thinking about what you say about teachers I think is so true is that I find that also so worrying is that I think that's like the definition of being unfulfilled in your job is not having any leeway into like choices and decision-making and like you say, shutting down of creativity. So I wonder like, what are the ways in which we can facilitate that for our kids outside of school time? Yeah. It's a big question. Sorry. Yeah, it is. And it's personal and it's cultural as well. Attitudes Mm. to education are hugely impacted by, I think the culture that you're growing up in and the parents attitude to education. I think one thing to be aware of is making sure that you leave space in the child's life for boredom and what I call pottering. (laughs) Pottering Uh, is like no plans, see what happens. Everyone's chilled, everyone's relaxed. Mm. Some of that time will be off screens. Some of it will be outside, like not overstructuring. I think pre-pandemic for a lot of families, not all, but for a lot of families, I think burnout was an issue. I think overscheduling was a big problem. And what happens if a child is spending a lot of time learning a curriculum that is quite restrictive in terms of freedom of thought, creativity, if they then just are shuffled to another environment that, Mm. yes, it might be fun, it might be enjoyable, but is also adult-led, is also full of structure and rules, their life is not having any space for Mm. them to be creative, for them to imagine, for them to make their own rules in those spaces that's where we learn essentially how to make ourselves happy it's a really important life skill you know we learn the kind of metaphor for when I don't have anyone telling me what to do when I'm left to my own devices 
I know how to entertain myself. I know how to make Mm. myself feel good. And there we get back into this link between play and mental health. There's some quite advanced thinking going on around the idea of play as soothing, which Mm. I think is really interesting because we think about soothing, we think kind of cuddles and calm. and, And when we think play, it can be quite sort of lively and joyful. But I think lively and joyful can also be very soothing so we want to make sure that there's space in the child's life to to have that sort of soothing experience through Mm. more open and unstructured play gosh yeah and that will be regulating their nervous systems in a way that like structured activities just can't do i'm just thinking about free movement and um, inhabiting your body in a way that that even if you're doing a sport like an adult-led sport you're not you're not getting that same freedom yeah yeah. yeah, that's it. And um, I'm not anti-structured sports at all. Those oh, things sure. have yeah. amazing, amazing qualities in them, but not at the expense of the free play. That's the mm. thing, like I was saying about how we value things. We have to value unstructured downtime as a exactly. really important part of everyone's life. Yeah. And this idea of unstructured play for adults, unstructured play for children I believe that extracurricular activities can be brilliant but not at the expense of experiencing unstructured play side by side and this is where we get into the over scheduling issue you know if you're doing too many things if you've got a sport a second language a musical instrument a drama that pottering has gone so Mm. it doesn't mean when the child is at those spaces that it's bad or it's damaging them it doesn't mean that at all it means that they're not it's almost like you're stripping something out of their diet that's really good for them that you, you, yeah. you want to make sure it stays in there for mm. sure. And the other thing is homework. You know, I'm sure this will be <laughs> frowned upon by a lot of schools and, and teachers, but I opt out. And for primary school, I don't think children should be doing homework at all. I don't want to work when I come back from work. Same for school holidays. I don't want to work yeah. when I'm on holiday. That is not rest. You, you know, you will know this as a, as a psychologist, yeah. but if you disturb your rest with work, you don't get the benefits of rest, of right? That, or and of think, the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it never has time to consolidate. And so actually yeah. you can be diminishing the work that they are doing in term times. I am absolutely with you on that. I don't do, I don't even do lead reading. So if the kids want to read, then of course I encourage that and we read to them, but we don't do any of that kind of anything in the holidays. I just feel really strongly about it too. Yeah. I think that, you know, in hindsight, having, you know, had three kids now, I battled with that early years homework for a bit, but wish I'd never bothered because I genuinely think it contributed to my eldest's like falling out of love with learning Mm. so early on. And I just think that time spent doing that, if we'd have just been playing Lego together, if we'd have just Mm. been hanging out in the park, it would have been so much better learning. Mm. It's a slightly privileged conversation because not all children have engaged parents so you could argue if they had nothing what would they be doing I have to sort of add that consideration in there but I think we have to have a greater understanding of the role of unstructured play in children's lives and to support the schools and the relationship between parents and teachers can be so critical you know I'd love to see a homework that's make up a dance why isn't that a homework when you're (laughs) at primary school like 
why not? <laughs> why That's isn't so that? Lovely. I think that, you know, yeah. this was, you know, kind of really famous TED talk, but what, you know, why is it more important to learn phonics than to have freedom of movement with mm. your body? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, there's so many things that brings up in my mind, but I think it's also less work for teachers in some ways is that some of the pressure that we put onto teachers to instruct our children to play and to learn through play that actually could take a lot of pressure off the whole system, not just children. Yeah. Yeah. And this I've, feels... never met, I've never met a teacher that thinks that homework is kind of really valid and really contributes mm. to the child's learning. I don't think that they <laughs> see it as a particularly good use of time mm. for them or the kids. Yeah, and just part of the system. Emma, could we leap a little bit to the left? And I wanted to ask about relationships at home. And if you don't mind speaking to kind of living playfully in terms of your relationship with Ben yeah. and how that kind of shows up. And I'd love to hear a bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So we just had our anniversary actually last weekend. So we've been oh. married 11 years. Play is a huge part of our relationship. I think humor is a massively powerful tool in mm. just kind of being able to <laughs> diffuse tension. And to some extent, it's quite a skill to be able to do that mm, absolutely. <laughs> um, and understand each other's humor and when it is going to diffuse a situation and when it's going to potentially wind someone up. <laughs> yeah. um, but that in itself, if you put that under the lens, would be quite sophisticated communication skills. Yeah. Wouldn't it? But I would say that's a massive part of mm. how we parent. We're always able to find the mm. humor in things. And we're always able to, I think, take what can be quite overwhelming decisions and moments. And I mean, it's not like we just sort of, you know, laugh about everything. That's not, sure. not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But to be able to find the light, to find the funny in things is definitely a big part of how we communicate and interact together. And um, Ben himself is an immensely playful person he is a collector of retro tech and kind of childhood toys and things like that and it's actually been really interesting because Ben and I are both somewhat exaggerated in terms of being in touch with our <laughs> inner child the impact <laughs> that that's had on the kids I think has been really really positive and like Phoenix who's nearly 11 you know he has this really like quite nuanced understanding of our popular culture as oh, well wow. as his own like obviously you don't want to just put everything on your kids because they need to find their own media and their own sure. influences and things like that but there's a lot of like boundary crossing is how I mm. describe it going on so they can come into our worlds we can go into their worlds and I think that's when like content and media can be at its best because you can mm. use it in a very playful way to form connections and then it shows up in how you play you know away from the screens and away from the media together and I think that's been actually really quite impactful yeah so interesting sure. it's because it carries with it like that sort of popular culture also carries with so much cultural weight obviously around what was going on at the time and that's such an interesting in into yeah. that sort of understanding of another person's background you know? yeah and I think it connects you to your inner kid as well obviously yeah. doesn't it nostalgia yeah. 
is a very unique emotion. It's very different to memory. It's different to joy. It's different to happiness. It's its own thing. And I think there can be a very sort of like grown up cynicism around dipping back into your nostalgia. Like, oh, you just yes, never grew up. Yeah. And like, oh, you just like obsessed with the past. You don't want to move forward. It's not true at all. Like I'd say you can be nuanced. Like you can spend a lot of time being nostalgic and it mm. being a positive thing rather than, you know, you're constantly just like sad that you're not in the 90s anymore <laughs> like you can be, you can be future and backward thinking it's like yes. you, you, you can do both but yeah I do think it has quite a big impact it's a similar to like I was saying about jumping into that temporary pleasure through play mm. I think constantly dipping into nostalgia it's like this drug like it's a natural drug and I think also for parents parenting today phones social media gaming in levels that we never experienced. Even if you feel quite up to date, I'm doing bunny ears because that <laughs> sounds like a very easy thing to say. If you feel quite up to date as a parent and quite switched on with stuff, there's no getting around it that their childhood is almost unrecognizable and it can be very scary and and I'm very committed to not parenting out of fear I feel very passionate about that because when you are making decisions out of fear you're panicking you're you're not doing really what you want to do you're probably not going to follow your intuition you're going to do what everyone else is doing so I feel quite conscious to get out of fear all the time so I think being able to cross worlds and cross boundaries and to dip into nostalgia, it makes Ben and I feel like we're mixing, (laughs) you know, they're having a bit of everything. Like, you know, they're going to have phones. They're going to go on social media eventually. Like we know it's all coming, but Mm. it helps us to also stay grounded in making sure that, you know, they have a lot of analog experiences that they get outside a lot that we push ourselves to try and, you know, make sure that they do things independently because the culture around children can be very much about cocooning and and kind of keeping Mm. themselves. So I think that playful nostalgic somehow feeds into our parenting style somewhere along the way so interesting and I agree so much I think that sometimes we we kind of expect too little and too much at the same time of kids yeah and I don't know why this is popping into my mind but I remember a while ago I think he shared a video of Phoenix on a skateboard and just letting him be really free and do stuff that I'm pretty sure a lot of parents would have said like oh too dangerous or don't do that and that's something I'm so drawn to about you is that real kind of freedom in play and not limiting your kids in the way that you say this is how you do it I think that's so true I get a lot of messages about parents who you know even struggle with like kids learning their bike and they they're just thinking about them smashing their front teeth in I guess that's anxiety isn't it and it's a huge thing that a lot of people suffer from I really empathize because It's not a nice headspace to Mm. be in. It's not something that I suffer with continually, but Mm. had those moments where your mind can go to very dark places very quickly. And I think particularly as a parent, you know, your soon as you, your child enters your life, however that happens, it's like your maternal instinct is keep this thing safe, alive, (laughs) protected. And the sort of the letting go of the reins part of it is really important. And I think actually for a lot of people they have to be more active or conscious or intentional about doing that because for some people 
you know, like myself, it happens quite naturally. And, you know, I felt quite confident to be able to let those reins go. But for others, it really doesn't. And I think if it doesn't, you have to start small and actually move towards letting them go because taking risks in play is such an important learned skill. So when we think about taking risks, we tend to go to like stunt artists or extreme Mm. sports or jumping out of a plane or whatever, but actually we take risks all the time, like applying for a job, putting your hand up in class, speaking in front of people, starting a podcast, walking away from a relationship. All of these things are risks and we learn the ability and the confidence to take risks in play. So if we hover if we rubber mat their life they don't get to to take the risk so I totally understand that when it comes to like physical risk not everyone has the same coordination skills I do think there is a massive difference there but it's allowing the child to level up at a rate that's sensible and kind of relevant to them and trying not to to clip their wings Yeah, doing that sort of inner work on ourselves, I think is important. And I love that you've said that, because I think those are also the way that we carry these kind of intergenerational stories from parent to child and beyond is that if they are taught, and it will happen at such a tiny level. So even if you're not saying anything, you're still sort of jumping. (laughs) And if you look terrified, they're absorbing that and they're saying, oh, I'm doing something dangerous. I shouldn't be doing this. Or this is not a safe thing for me to be doing is experimenting. We don't even know which parts they absorb, do you know what I mean? Specific to them in that moment. And you can also get pretty tied up in that and worrying about how you are with kids. But I think that inner work is important to think about what's happening for me in these moments why you know what's triggered for me totally agree and it's no easy task is it it always comes from good intentions that's the thing you know with with the majority of parents it's it's from a, a such a genuine place of love and concern but I think that we can underestimate how much they're soaking up from us yeah. we're their mirror for how do I function as a person if we are someone who shows up in their life that basically comes in and stops them every time they get near to sort of stretching themselves and it might be that it's not appropriate for them to do you know obviously we need the fear for them to keep them safe but if they don't ever get to stretch they don't get to have that that risk assessment muscle doesn't kind of get get work work it's like with phoenix you know big climber always up always jumping it's like okay cool we're gonna learn how we fall properly so he gets a parkour and you know they learn how to roll and they teach them about spatial awareness and for a Mm -hmm. child like him that was really necessary to do so you know it's like the bike thing is you know just putting the helmet on and you know you sort of Mm -hmm. take the risk down and and kind of support them without just immediately saying no and shutting shutting, it shutting it down yeah yeah. oh I love that Emma is there any sort of last words you'd like to give to parents around play or not even necessarily parents just humans I feel like yeah one of the things that you know in our family sort of asked about relationships and once someone observed to me and just said you just seem to have such a nice energy around you as a family like why do you think that is and I said I think it's because we take fun seriously (laughs) and we do. We spend so much time trying to get our houses organized and our work-life balance right and all these sorts of things. Like I would really put your fun under the lens. Is it working for you? Like, are you going towards joy? Are you 
playing as an adult. I just think if everyone put as much time and effort into that as they do about meal planning and exercising and making sure all the bathrooms are cleaned and like all these other sort of life chores I'm not saying we don't have to do but I think that would be quite a radical moment of realization and just putting it up there is important as everything Mm. else I'm not saying you know just drop everything and mess about and whatever but just getting it getting it in there I love that. And that life is not only yeah about productivity, that yeah. there's so much joy to be had that you can access. It doesn't, you don't even have to create it. It's just, it's there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Look under your nose is yeah. like one of my favorite expressions. Even if you think your life is so boring and so mundane and we've all been through that, haven't we, over the last year, mm-hmm. there's always something. And actually sometimes the less you have, the more creative mm-hmm. you can get and the more imaginative potential there is. Absolutely. Oh, Emma, thank you so, so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. I love that conversation. I hope you did too. If you'd like to get in touch with Emma, you can find her on Instagram at playful underscore den. And then I really recommend um, checking out her Patreon, also by the same name, The Playful Den. Emma does loads on there and um, it's really, really worthwhile signing up. So yeah, go and have a look. All right, have a lovely week. I'll speak to you next week.